Chapter 21 of Tracked by a Tattoo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tracked by a Tattoo by Fergus Hume. Chapter 21 The Eight Bells Enigma. Although Fanks quite expected this revelation, he was nevertheless rather astonished at its unexpected confirmation. From that bicycle ride of Hersham's to Taxon-on-Thames to thwart his designs on Ann Comer, Fanks had deduced certain suspicions. The hesitation of the journalist had confirmed those suspicions. Frankly speaking, he had no reason to connect Hersham with the negro. But he had been satisfied from the evidence of Simeon Wagg that Caesar, Dr. Binjoy's servant, had not been away from the Surrey village on that fatal night. Failing the real negro, someone must have personated the black man. From the behavior of Hersham, Fanks thought he might be the person in question. His random shot had hit the bull's-eye. It was quite an accident that it had done so. "'I expected as much,' said Fanks, again restoring the photograph to his pocket-book. "'I told you, Garth, that I was right to trust to my instincts. This discovery explains the extraordinary conduct of Hersham.' "'In what way?' "'I shall tell you later on.' In the meantime, let us hear what this man has to say." He turned towards Barry Jawkins as he spoke, and waited for him to speak. The barman looked rather downcast, and when he did open his mouth it was to revert to the subject of the reward. "'I'm a poor man, gentlemen,' he said in a whining tone, "'and I hope you mean fair about this thirty pounds.' "'We mean fair about the twenty pounds, man,' said Vaughan sternly. You heard what Mr. Fanks said." "'Oh, yes, I heard fast enough,' retorted Barry Jawkins. "'And I don't hold with him. The rewards added together make thirty pounds.' "'No doubt they do. But then the rewards are not to be added together,' said Fanks. "'You had better tell me all you know, Mr. Barry Jawkins, or I'll look into the matter myself, and then you'll get no reward.' "'Oh, you'd go back on me.' Well, do you see, I shan't tell anything." Fank shrugged his shoulders. He had no desire to quarrel with the man or to waste time in arguing. The only way to induce speech from this obstinate creature was to pay him the money, which, after all, he had earned fairly enough. The detective, therefore, advised Herbert Vaud to fulfill the terms of the advertisement, which was accordingly done, and Mr. Jawkins found himself the richer by twenty pounds though it should have been thirty pounds," said the obstinate creature. "'But there ain't no chance of getting what's fair out of the aristocracy. I'm a radical, I am, and I goes—' "'We don't want to have your political opinions, man,' said Fang sharply. "'Come to the point.' "'I'm coming to it,' grumbled Barry Jawkins. "'On the night of the twenty-first I was in the bar. Business was bad that evening, gentlemen, and there was not a blessed soul in the bar but myself.' Just about eight o'clock, I thought as how I might shut up. Then the door opened, and in come a black man. He said, "'I've left my bike outside. I want a drink of scotch, cold,' he says. And mind you, I twigged that he wasn't a nigger when he spoke, and I saw he was a gent by the peculiar refinement of his jawing. But as it wasn't my business, I said nothing till he asked to wash his face. Then I told him to go round to the pump in the back yard. Though, says I, 
A gent like you would want hot water. I ain't a gent, says he. I'm only a poor strolling Christy minstrel, he says. Then I laughs, seeing as he was lying. But he scowls and bolts out to the beck. When he comes back, his face was white, as white as you or me, and he had a mustache like that feather in that photo. In fact, gents, he is the feather in that photo, as I can swear to in any court of law. Well, he comes back clean and finishes his scotch cold, and goes out. I think his manner queer-like, and goes to the door. He gets on his bike and goes off down the road like a house on fire. Which way did he go? To London or down the country? Oh, down the country, for sure, gents. Well, I didn't say anything about all this, for I thought as he might be a gent doing a bolt in disguise. But it wasn't any of my business to split, particular as he had given me two shilling, just for fun-like. But all the same, I keeps my eye on the papers to see if there was any one wanted. Then I comes to this Tulliady murder, and a description of the negro in a green coat and brass buttons. That's my man, I says, but hold hard, Barry Jawkins, and don't say nothing till you see as there is a reward. So I waits and waits, till in this morning's paper I sees a reward of thirty pounds. Twenty pounds. Very well, gents, all, we'll say twenty, though to my mind it ought to be another tenner. But as I says, I sees this reward and comes up to get it. I have got it, said Jawkins, slapping his pocket, though not the amount I did expect. Now, having told all, I goes, hoping you'll catch that black-white nigger and hang him, for I think he is aristocrat, and I hates them, they being my natural enemies. Having heard this history, Fanks let Barry Jawkins go, as there was no reason why he should be detained. First, however, he found out that Mr. Jawkins was always to be heard of at the Eight Bells in his capacity of barman. The man having left the room, Fanks turned towards Garth and Herbert to see what they thought of the revelation which had been so unexpectedly made. They returned his gaze, and Garth was the first to break the silence. "'Well,' he said in a low tone, "'so Hersham is the culprit after all.' "'Pardon me, Garth, but I do not think that we have proved that yet.' What do you say, Mr. Vaud? I can say nothing, replied Herbert coldly. I have no opinion in the matter. As my father is absent, I am attending to the case by his desire. But, personally speaking, I would not lift one finger to discover the assassin, or rather, the punisher of Gregory Fellinger. You hated him, then? said Fanks quietly. I hated him. I still hate him, even though he is dead. You wonder at my speaking in this way, Mr. Fanks, but— No, replied Fanks, with a certain pity in his tone. I do not wonder. Your father told Mr. Garth here the story of Emma Calvert, and Mr. Garth repeated it to me. I know you hate the very memory of that dead scoundrel. Can you wonder at it? said Herbert again. I loved her. She did not love, but she might have grown to do so in time but he came with his lies and money to drag her away from me. He married her, certainly, but he drove her to suicide. And if he had not met with his death by this unknown hand, he would have had to reckon with me for his baseness. You would have killed him yourself, perhaps? Herbert Vaud opened and shut his hand convulsively. 
I don't know what I should have done," he said in a thick voice. But he is dead, so what does it matter? If I had my way, the assassin of Gregory Fellinger should go free." "'He may go free after all,' said Fanks quietly. "'We have not yet solved the problem of his death.' "'We have proved that Hersham was disguised as the Negro,' said Garth impetuously. "'We have proved that Hersham was disguised as a Negro,' replied Fanks, making the correction with point. "'But we have not proved that he was, that he is, the Negro who killed your cousin in Tully's Alley. If he did not, why was he blacked up on the very night the murder was committed? He must have had some reason for so masquerading. I have no doubt he had a reason. And I have no doubt that he will explain his reason to me when I see him. But on the face of it, I do not think that he is the Negro of Tully's Alley." "'Why not?' said Garth impatiently. Look here, Fanks, the skein runs out as clean as a whistle. Hersham has a cross tattooed on his arm. The death of my cousin was caused by a similar cross being pricked on his arm. Hersham is engaged to Anne Comer. You tell me that she is the sister of the girl Emma Calvert, who committed suicide in Paris, as the victim of Sir Gregory. The envelope making the appointment comes from Taxton-on-Thames. Anne Comer comes from the same place. She lives there. Hersham was disguised as a negro on the very night of the murder, at the very time the murder was committed. What is more reasonable than to suppose that Hersham was inspired by Anne Comer to kill the man who had deceived her sister? There in a few words you have the motive of the crime, and the way in which it was carried out. Oh, there is no doubt in my mind that we have the real man at last. Were I you, I would arrest Hersham without delay. If you were in my place, you would do what I intend to do," said Fanks quietly, and take time to consider the matter. I admit that you have made a very strong case out against Hersham, but there is one important particular which you have overlooked. What is that? asked Garth. It seems to me that there is not a link missing. That comes of being too confident. Can you see the missing link, Mr. Vaud? The young lawyer reflected for a few moments in a composed and careless manner, then looked up and professed his inability to amend the case as set out against Hersham. Fanks shrugged his shoulders at their lack of penetration, and explained his theory. The negro who was in Tully's alley had no mustache, he said slowly, as was proved by the evidence of Mrs. Boazoff. Hersham, on the contrary, both as negro and white man, had a mustache, as has been proved by the story of Barry Jawkins. "'It might have been a false mustache,' said Garth, still sticking to his point. "'It was not a false mustache,' retorted Fanks, shaking his head. "'If Hersham intended a disguise, he would have worn a beard. A mustache would disguise him little. But for the sake of argument, we will grant that the mustache was intended as a disguise. If so, why did he retain it when he washed the black off his face? Or, if it was a part of his disguise, why did he wear it both as the black and the white man? No, no, I am sure that Hersham wore his own mustache, and not a false one. And again," added Fanks, with an afterthought, I saw Hersham shortly after the murder, within two or three days, in fact. He then wore a heavy mustache. 
and you can trust me when I say it was not a false one. If, then, Hersham was the Tuli Ali Negro, who we have agreed committed the murder, how did he manage to grow his moustache in so short a period? The thing is impossible," finished the detective. That one point alone assures me that Hersham is guiltless of the crime. Mrs. Bozoff may have made a mistake," suggested Garth. Remember, she did not see the negro go out. She saw him go in, however. Mrs. Bozoff is too clever a woman to make a mistake of that sort. The black man who committed the murder had no moustache. Our friend, masquerading as a Christie minstrel, had one. Against the evidence of Mrs. Boazoff, we can place the evidence of Barry Jawkins, the one contradicts the other, and both evidences conclusively prove that Hersham had no hand in the commission of the mysterious tragedy." "'And another thing,' said Herbert suddenly. Mr. Garth couples the fact of the murder with the name of Miss Comer. As a friend of the family, I protest against that. I know Mrs. Comer, I know her daughter, and I am certain that neither of these unfortunate people have anything to do with the death of that scoundrel." Nevertheless, the envelope which contained the appointment of the Red Star in Tully's Alley as the rendezvous bore the Taxton-on-Thames postmark. Mrs. Comer and her daughter live at Taxton-on-Thames. What of that? Sir Louis Fellinger and his medical friend lived at the same place. You might as well say that the new baronet committed the crime so as to succeed the title and estates. The one theory is as feasible as the other." "'Very true,' said Fanks in a desponding tone. "'I'm as much in the dark as ever. At the present moment we can build up a theory on anything. For instance, I might say that our friend Garth here killed his cousin.' "'The deuce!' cried Garth, aghast. "'You are startled.' said Fanks, keenly watching the effect of his speech on the young man. "'I don't wonder at it. I merely say this to show how slow you should be in condemning Hersham.' "'But I don't see how you could bring me in,' stammered Garth. "'It is easy enough. You are the heir, failing Sir Louis. You know the purport of that tattooed cross. You might have killed your cousin and have sent the appointment from Taxton-on-Thames to implicate Sir Louis in the matter and so have removed the two people between you and the title at one sweep. But I don't want the title. Possibly not. But you want money. But do not look so afraid, Garth. I don't think you committed the crime. You are no doubt as innocent as Mr. Herbert here." "'If I had committed the crime, I should not deny it,' said Herbert gloomily. I should glory in causing the death of such a scoundrel. If Fellinger had not been killed by the negro in Tooley's alley, Mr. Fanks, you might have had to arrest me as the cause of his death. As it is, my revenge has been taken out of my hands. But the same end has been arrived at. I am glad the blackguard is dead." Here the argument ended, and Fanks went out arm in arm with Garth. Both of them were sorry for the unhappy Herbert Vaud, and both of them were more puzzled than ever over the case. As yet all evidence had failed to throw the least gleam of light on the subject. End of chapter 21